Welcome to HR Latte, your podcast connection to all things HR. Caring for people is imperative for today's progressive business. Listen in as Rayanne Thorne Kruger gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts, and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources, hiring, and employee engagement. And now, sit back and sip your next cup of talent management blended to perfection. Hey, everybody. Welcome to HR Latte. This is Rayanne, your host and producer. Very excited to be bringing HR Latte to you in 2022. I have an amazing focus, especially for the month of February. We are speaking with Black leaders, either in a professional setting or HR space. And I am thrilled to bring this guest to you. I had an opportunity to interview him on the floor, I believe, of a conference a few years ago, HR Tech Conference, I think. But please welcome Emu Udam. Emu, thank you for, for joining me today. I knew I was going to mess up your name. I'm going to say it again. Emu Udam. Did I get it right no that time? No problem. <laughs> Very close. We're, we're good, Rayanne. Okay. We go way back. I understand. Oh, um, sorry. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. And we've had a couple of chats over the last couple of weeks. And I am so happy to have you as a guest here on HR Latte, especially given the focus for 2022. Please introduce folks to yourself. I know that currently you are the Senior Vice President of Innovation Ecosystems at Mozilla. What an exciting title. So tell us a little bit what that means and then also how you got there. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And again, I'm, I'm honored to be on your show, Rianne. And you're correct. You interviewed me on the floor of HR Tech a number of years uh-huh. ago. And that was a wonderful experience as well. So yes, I recently joined Mozilla, actually, in October of last year as the Senior Vice President of Innovation Ecosystems. I'm not a big person for titles. When you hear Innovation Ecosystems, <laughs> it's very easy to think, what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, but to be very honest, it's extremely exciting. My role at Mozilla is to partner with the whole company the leadership and our CEO to help Mozilla explore new opportunities for impacting the world. And so we talk about innovation as an ecosystem because it's not just about coming up with new ideas. Our role is really about empowering others, enabling innovation, both internally and externally. So think everything from how do we experiment more? What are the systems and processes and approaches we might take that allows us to think differently, think quickly, and explore new opportunities. That's one aspect of things. Another aspect is directly creating new products and services using emerging technology. And then a third aspect is really partnering externally with other entrepreneurs, organizations, either directly or indirectly, those companies that are doing great things and helping to move the world forward in a positive way that's mission aligned with Mozilla. Wow. That sounds like a very exciting job. I can imagine that your brain is probably popping by the end of the, each week. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> you know, this role is very expensive. It's, it's a lot and it can be very disheartening. But what's great about I have a great network and group of people who are helping me be successful, my colleagues, my friends externally, and that keeps me grounded and helps me achieve. You asked a little bit about my journey. I love that, that you have given honor and credit to your network. Thank you for doing that. That's really, 
monumental, actually. I think that sometimes we forget that so many people help us get to where we are. And I myself have several mentors that I reach out to when a moment of (laughs) professional crisis occurs. So yes, and I did ask about your journey. So tell us a little bit about um, how you got to where you are. Yes. Right before Mozilla, I was chief product and strategy officer at Outmatch. Actually, Outmatch is now named Harvard. So some people on the podcast may know it as Harvard, but originally when I joined, it was Outmatch. Okay. I was very fortunate to, at my time at Outmatch, Outmatch acquired my company, WePow, in late 2018, essentially early 2019. And I joined Outmatch at a really fun time. The organization was going through a transition from being a historical old school traditional assessment company. Right before I joined, they had built a new assessment platform and they're getting on an aggressive growth trajectory. So WePow, a video interviewing platform, became part of the story for how we are going to change or improve our combination of assessments and video interviewing to support talent at scale. And again, what was really great about that experience, we're in growth mode, We took a step back to look at our mission. I got to partner with the team there to recraft our mission, our vision. And over the two years that I was at Outmatch, really helped to shape a journey through leading our product and our strategy overall. And, you know, once once you do that, I was very fortunate. In 20, obviously COVID hit. COVID is really hard in a lot of organizations. We're very fortunate to do well in COVID and had the opportunity to do a bit of M&A. So nice. We actually acquired, don't quote me on the exact number, (laughs) five or so companies in a very short period of time, integrating those teams, those products. And at a certain point, I realized that I'd added great value to the organization. I'd enjoyed my 11 plus year stint in HR technology, and it was time to make a difference and make a switch for me. And that's when I ended up connecting with some folks at Mozilla. Well, HR technology's loss is absolutely Mozilla's gain. So of course we miss you, but this how networking works. I mean, I still feel like I can come to you and talk to you about HR tech and who knows, this somehow gets in your blood and you might end up back in HR technology someday or come up with another amazing idea. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about entrepreneurialism and what it was like to be a Black entrepreneur and then to build your company. Tell me a little bit about the challenges you faced. Were there any specific challenges entering HR technology because you were Black? Tell us a little bit about that. I appreciate that, Rayanne. And for those who know me, I tend to be straightforward and transparent. So I'll tell you a little bit of real stories. The answer is yes, there are challenges. Okay. Being an entrepreneur in general is challenging, no matter your race, color, gender, all of the above. It's, It's difficult. Right. So I'll say that. But specifically, being a Black entrepreneur, add an extra layer. I remember in the early days of WePow, my co-founders and I joined a startup accelerator. It was one of one of the big name ones. I won't name it right now. And we were in their second class, second cohort of founders. So still very early days. And I recall a scenario where my other co-founder, who was originally the CEO, was from Mexico. So you have me, a Black American, right. and my two co-founders are from Mexico. They're not Mexican-American, they're just from Mexico. And our, my co-founder and CEO at the time, it came to demo day, and the, the person who ran the accelerator pulled us aside and said, you know what, I think it'd be better if Emo does the demo day pitch and speaks a little bit more, because he sounds American and he speaks more clearly. Hmm. Your accent may turn people off. 
Oh. And that was, I mean, we were sitting there crushed. Oh. And the interesting thing is the person who was telling us this was trying, was from their perspective, they're doing it from the bottom of their heart. They're trying to help our they're goal trying to, help. to get yeah. funding and they're trying to help. Here's the scenario. I'm just, they're keeping it real. So I'm not even faulting them, but it was just, just something we had to come to terms with very early on that our accent has a strong correlation to our ability to fundraise. Mm. And in that particular scenario, we did not follow that advice. We decided, you know what? Nope. Wow. Uh, my co-founder and I were both, were both pitching. We we're already both going to pitch aspects. And so he and I just practiced together and we did the pitch. So that scenario, we did not listen to the advice and we made it through. Fast forward, we did get funding. Good. But that's another very interesting story. The person who led our seed round pulled me aside at one point and said, Hey, I just want to be straightforward with you. Your team is built from a Black American and two people from Mexico. It's going to be very unlikely that you're going to get funding here in the Bay Area. But I believe in you. I know you three have something to prove to the world. I like your startup. I'm going to lead you around regardless. That was another shocking experience, right? Wow. He's essentially saying, we don't look like other people. We don't sound like other people. And it's unlikely that we would get funding. He was actually an Asian American, so he had immigrated here as well and felt, I guess he had a little more kindred spirit. He could look past that and decided to invest in us. But didn't so, have the confidence that you would expect from somebody who had been successful as, you know, a, a minority in the U.S. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think actually he did have the confidence and I think he was just trying to give us a, another cold dose of reality. Oh, okay. That here's the environment you're going into. I support you you're going to need to be strong if you're going to make it through this race. I, I think that was the angle. Now, to your point, those conversations were had with us, and that could have either, those conversations could have broken us. Right. We were right. very fortunate that we were a strong team and we came together to push ourselves forward. And we used those obstacles as fire Good. to show to the world that we could do it. But a lot of people wouldn't react that way. And looking back at it, again, those people are trying to open our eyes Maybe what I would have appreciated more is not just the opening of the eyes, but showing of additional support, right? Giving us more context as to why they were making those comments. But again, it just gave us fire. You know, it's interesting because I've heard from women entrepreneurs who've had similar experiences. If they had a partner or somebody that they were overseeing that was male, it was suggested to them that the man, the white man, present, Correct. right? And so it's, it's really interesting and unfortunate. Anything else you'd like to share? I think when I transitioned and fully got into the HR tech space right. and we launched our company and we're interacting, you know, I, I didn't feel any overt bias. I think maybe one of the things that I realized is challenging is just being a black leader in HR tech is mm -hmm. twofold. There are very few of us. Yep. So I recall that I don't remember, early days especially, there were no other black CEOs at all. I've ended up finding out later that the original founder and CEO of The Resonator, which for okay. those OGs, you know, what The <laughs> Resonator was. Yep. Their name changed, but um, he was a black CEO. He and I never engaged, though. Actually, funny enough, when we both left the space, we then connected. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and said, oh, yeah, remember those times. Remember those but times. But I think I was, embraced, I was embraced overall, which was really positive. Maybe one of the challenges, just feeling lonely. There were times where you did feel lonely. Right. Um, there are people, you're at, a lot of social events, HR tech, other conferences. And you just start seeing Black people um, and other minorities, but 
rarely in leadership positions. I want to ask you about something because I uncovered this, Bennett and I uncovered this as we were doing Reese Bennett Sung with Humanly, as we were doing research right. and working over the last two months to create this Black History Month celebration that we're doing over on LinkedIn. There are no Black analysts in the HR tech space. Exactly. Exactly. What do you think about that? I think you nailed it. When I was reflecting on this challenge, it's very funny. I think the place that I felt most out of whack was when interacting with analysts. Right. So don't get me wrong. There are some great influencers that I connected with that I have great relationships with. But when it came to really the analyst community, yeah, it, it was tough. I'm dumbfounded real by coverage. It. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really Absolutely. dumbfounded by it. And when we started talking about it, when Bennett and I started talking about it, I started doing, I mean, massive searches, just like trying to find, please tell me there's one. Please tell me there's at least one, not one. And, you know, we have lots of friends that run these analyst companies, you know, analyst agencies. And I want to reach out and say, come on, do better. You're the ones that are saying we need more equity, more equality, more diversity represented in the technology products. And you're not doing that representation yourself in your own companies. Correct. Let's have a little effort here. Yeah, funny enough, I, I ran across one for a little bit. His name is David Smith. But he was an analyst in a firm that didn't just focus on HR tech. Okay. But they did cover HR tech. So he was the first person I met and it was years into the space and he left. And he now, left the, the space. Side, Interesting. He, he left the space. But he is still an analyst. He has his own analyst firm now. Mm. Um, I believe it's Inflow Analysis. And he was at Aragon Research for a little bit. Oh, okay. he left Aragon, okay. but Aragon is, was broad. Right. And he has his own firm now, Inflow Analysis. And again, not focused on HR tech, just broadly on tech, but there's a little bit of overlap. But he was the only person I met in my 11 years in the industry. Wow. I want to say it's horrific. It's horrific. It's horrific. That's just not, should not be in 2022. It just should not. So let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be a a senior level position, very high senior level position, being a black professional. You've done that now. You're a senior vice president with Mozilla, much larger company than WePow was. And what have been some of the challenges there? Do you see other people like you? at senior level positions? Yes, I think what's fortunate, first of all, I would say this, again, I'm only a few months into Mozilla. So far, I love it. I'm sure I'm still in the honeymoon phase, so everything is gravy. (laughs) But I think ultimately, Mozilla does work really hard to practice what they preach, right? And I think at this stage, I'm probably the most senior person at Mozilla, black person. Okay. But there are others that are almost at the same level who are very close. And so that's been very helpful, right? I think that we're able to connect, have discussions. At my last company, the next most senior Black person was very, very junior, which made it really challenging to have honest conversations because of the level difference. Right Here, that's not the case at all. Okay. I've been very supportive. And we have DE&I programs that we believe in, that we're focused on. So I genuinely, I feel a lot better here. Now, there is still a challenge, right? And I think one of the challenges that I experience and I think about is how to divide my time, right? I'm new, new role. There's a lot going on, a lot of pulls for my time, but I'm really passionate about how do I make sure that I'm being intentional myself and supporting 
overall DNI at the organization, and more specifically, our Black people here, right? We have an ERG, an employee resource group called Afrozillions. And oh, I think nice. about how do I make sure that I, yeah, no, it's pretty, I, love that. I, I laughed, I love the name as well. I love it. But, you know, part of me is just saying, even if I'm not necessarily trying to be a hero everywhere, how do I just engage, be involved, be visible? And I think that's the first step. And hopefully that creates camaraderie with others and they're able to come to me when there are challenges, problems, and share things with me that I can help impact our strategy overall and how we engage our employees. That's my hope. And I think just making sure to carve out the time is where the challenge can be. Does that that become overwhelming? It does. It does. I think in this particular case, an advice I got was don't feel that you need to do everything on your own and be the sole champion for Black people here. That's advice I got from outside. And I think the way I try to find that balance is, again, make sure I'm at least connecting and engaging. Don't sit up there just in leadership meetings. How do I make sure that I'm having a conversation with others, getting to know others, understanding the lived experience? And instead of maybe trying to do something huge, a one-off big program, how do I do a lot of the little things that will move the needle, right? That, that's how I'm trying to approach it to reduce that pressure of it has to be all on you. And I, I don't feel that right now. I really appreciate you sharing that and this, the you know, the early stories and what you faced. It's, um, it can be so overwhelming just when you feel like what, it, I mean, and we talk about this all the time, you know, that um, imposter oh, syndrome, yeah. you're right. Imposter what syndrome. If, that's right. What if, what if they, what if they find out that I'm learning too? What if they find out, that, Correct. you know, and, and Correct. that happens to all of us as we move up, Correct. right? Unless Correct. we have a huge ego, I think we need to constantly be learning. And I feel so thankful that you're willing to help me on my own journey here and, and stop by HR Latte and talk to us a little bit about, about your experiences as a Black professional, in particular in technology. Do you have anything you'd like CEOs to focus on in 2022 as a Black leader? Yes. And I think it's, I'd like CEOs to focus on this in 2022 and beyond. Okay, so there, there are two I words like that. that come to mind. One is intent and the other is commitment. So on the intent side, it's really be intentional about the programs and work that we're doing to make change in, within an organization. And I'm going to talk about that from a Black perspective. Be intentional about how we're trying to promote diversity, create equity, create belonging, support inclusion. That's just really important. Right. It's not going to happen if you just say you want it and you think you want it. You have to take some concrete actions towards that. And that feeds into my second thing. Be committed. Really commit yourself mentally. Really commit your organization's resources and really provide the time that's needed. There are no silver bullets here. It's going to take time. It's going to take action. It's going to take commitment. And if you think about where we are in the world and where, how we even got here as Black people, the challenging history of slavery, there were big, bold actions that created this current situation. Right. And that was over an extended period of time. So even though time has passed since the abolition of slavery and we've worked really hard, there's still a lot to do. So what I mean by that, it's going to take time and bold action to fix things or to get us out of this situation. So you need to be committed for the long run. I think the worst thing a CEO can do is say, oh, I care about D&I or I care about hiring more Black people. 
here's a little budget, here's a little program, let's measure it. Oh, six months later, we don't see results, can it? Yeah. No, Yeah. it's going to take time. You got to be committed. How do you remain professional? I mean, I just listened to what you've shared. How do you stay professional and not get angry or just completely pissed off? How do you do that? Yeah, for me, one of the key ways, and I try to think about it in two ways. One is try to really be able to distinguish when I'm taking something personally or when something should be taken personally. And that's mm-hmm. not easy. Yeah, Everyone has their own feelings there. But I try to think about that a lot. But the more important thing is sharing. Don't bottle things in. So I work really hard to, where possible, be transparent and open with my colleagues. So I have a, a group of colleagues that I know that I can vent to, uh, whether regardless of their race. I also make sure that I'm open. I can share transparently with my friends and family. So you have to give outlets for those emotions and those feelings. And I think that's the key here. If you're open and sharing and you're authentic, you're able to address things upfront. But sometimes you're just clear that, you know what? Today's not a good day for me. This week yeah. is not a good week for me. I'm dealing with X, Y, Z. Being able to share those things really help you feel grounded. Bottling those things up, the worst thing you can do because then you explode right. or then you create additional resentment. So that's, that's how I do it. I, I communicate, I share as authentically as I can. And I've built up different groups of folks internally in organizations that I work at and externally through friends and family that I'm able to engage when I have struggles and where I'm feeling. I love that. It's really, really powerful for you to be able to do that, to step back and say, okay, wait a minute, right? And do I need to take this personally? Is it something that I just can let go or how do I approach? I really appreciate the, your intent. I mean, you are being intentional in your response. So thank you for that. And I really, gosh, I can't thank you enough for joining me and allowing me to ask my questions, you know, because I think we all are in this together. Those of us that really want to make a difference. And I really appreciate you just taking the time and, and sharing these things with me. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you a couple more things. First of all, do you have any advice for young Black leaders, those just starting out maybe in the tech space or an entrepreneur? What kind of advice do you have? I have a lot of advice. So let, <laughs> let me see if I can hit, hit a couple things quickly. One is be vulnerable and ask for help. So don't try and do this on your own. There are other Black entrepreneurs who have either done it before you or are doing it alongside you. Be vulnerable, ask for help. It's perfectly okay to ask for help. Okay. Don't try to just walk the walk without being getting the support you need. That leads me to my second one. Build a personal advisory board. Oh, nice. Doesn't necessarily have to be about your company, but you need a team that's going to help you along. You know, Repow went through a lot of ups and downs, and it was really my external advisory board. And I say advisory board, they're unofficial. They're friends, they're family, they're random individuals. And they got me through it. And I let's go beyond the friend part, because friends will help you. But I ended up just picking up other entrepreneurs, other leaders that have done things before and asked them for support. And I oftentimes went to them, they helped me through the hard times. So build your personal advisory board. Again, has doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your company, but people that you can go to that you know you get the real advice from, the real support. Sometimes it's just venting. Right. The last thing I would say is be bold and, and know that you deserve where you are, to be where you are. Again, that speaks to the imposter syndrome. We right. all have imposter right. syndrome. <laughs> it's okay to feel imposter syndrome. Yeah. What I'm trying to get at is Try to make your actions different from the feeling. You deserve to be there. You don't need to know everything to be an entrepreneur or a leader. You don't have to have all the experience. 
know that you deserve to be there, lean on others, and that'll help you through it. Uh, amazing advice. One last thing. Do you have any resources that our listeners should find, uh, whether a book or a podcast or anything out there that we should read, watch, listen to that would help us? I have three things to share. And I'll start with one, and I'm going to get this wrong, I believe, but Capro Capital, they're one of our investors in my old company. Through their nonprofit, they're supporting a nonprofit called the Smash Academy. Smash was in smashing something. Okay. And in Smash Academy, I believe they do talks with other leaders about their lived experience. I don't recall the frequency, but every once in a while, they'll talk to a leader. I happened to listen to one conversation with the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. She's a black woman. And it was really amazing. They talk about their journey, how they got there, challenges they've had. And that was very inspirational and powerful to hear other leaders' journeys, especially lived experiences that don't make it seem like everyone's walking that straight, easy path. That's one recommendation I have for everybody. Okay. Right. I think Smash Academy tends to look for diverse individuals, diverse leaders to tell their lived stories. So that's one. Two others I'll say very quickly. One is a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Uh, that I think Ben Horowitz wrote that. Really good for entrepreneurs who are going through challenges, right? Talks about that grit, getting through the hard times, how to make it through that. So I'd advise that. Nice. And then No no Rules Rules. It's another book. I think it's by Reed Hastings. It talks a little bit about the Netflix culture, but talks about how the Netflix culture shaped their views on rules and employee management and leadership. So I think that's really good for any leader. Not every company can be Netflix. I don't think you should. But what I liked about the book, it gives you a, a new model to think about it. Some things in there are pretty bold. And so it just helps you think and see what a different approach can look like. So No Rules Rules, The Hard Thing About Hard Things was the two books and the Smash Academy's podcast. And again, I don't recall. Awesome. I'll, I'll add the link. I'll, I'll look it up and add the link to the bio of this Thank this you. particular episode. Thank you so much. If folks who are listening want to connect with you, can they do so on LinkedIn? Absolutely. Look for me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Okay, great. Awesome. I'll put your link there too. Well, I really appreciate the time today, my friend. I'm so proud of you and the work that you've done and your ability to just keep rising. It's just amazing to watch. And congrats on the new baby. Big, wonderful, happy family you have there. So congrats. So exciting. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time on HR Latte. Thanks for listening to this episode of HR Latte. This podcast is brought to you by Never Enough Media and is produced by host Rayanne Thorne-Kruger. Our editor is Igor Kuzmanovsky and Dick Delecki as our announcer. With featured music, Grab a Coffee and Go by Tiny Music. Special thanks to those who have made HR Latte possible over the years with their ideas, support, and feedback. 